I'm surrounded by a really messy closet right now. <laughs> okay, you're ready, ready? Okay, great, great, great. I'm Abigail Disney. Welcome to All Ears, my podcast where I get to go deep with some super smart people. It's been a long year. I don't know about you, but I've been reminded over and over again that a lot of stuff is broken. Honestly, it's a little overwhelming. That's why this season I'll be talking with my favorite kinds of people, good troublemakers, artists, activists, politicians, and others who challenge the status quo, who push us to think differently about how to make the world a better place. We'll talk about their work, how they came to do what they do, and why it's so important in hard times to think big. You can't think about solutions without being a little optimistic. And man, oh man, I think we need some optimism right now. So join me every Thursday for some good troublemaking. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, timing note for everybody. We recorded this episode the day after the first and now maybe the only presidential debate. That was only two weeks ago, but since then we've had a COVID outbreak in the White House and a fly landing on the vice president's head. So it's been an eventful couple of weeks, let's just say. But that first debate was still top of mind as I sat down to talk with a very funny person. These laws are designed to oppress and control and ultimately overturn Roe v. Wade. And if they succeed, they will directly result in death and poverty for women and other vulnerable people. But it is especially fucked up that the people doing the regulating wouldn't recognize a vulva if it bit them in the face. Oh, <laughs> yes. I forgot to tell you this one thing. They all bite. <laughs> I have been laughing at and laughing with our guest today for so long that I feel like I know her already, but... Of course, I don't, but I am so, so happy she's here with us to kick off our season two of All Ears. In the current landscape of media mistrust and media shenanigans and just plain media lying, the late night comedy news seems to have morphed into the trusted sources of truth telling. And one of the prime movers of that is Sam B. Thank you. That's a nice intro. <laughs> well, I'm not done here. I'm on. not done. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> going to step back. We all loved her on The Daily Show, where she was the only lady correspondent for several years. And then in 2016, she started her own show on TBS, Breaking the Glass Ceiling. Although, Sam, if it's okay with you, I want to place a moratorium on that freaking metaphor. For sure. I can, all I can picture is people looking up and getting glass shards in their eyes. Glass, <laughs> glass is very dangerous when it shatters. <laughs> yes, exactly. Stop. Um, but anyway, Sam did not just strike out on her own, but in her totally own way with a strikingly diverse team of talented people in every capacity. Turns out it's not that hard. Sam B. has been telling the most important stories that have been overlooked by the media, stories like Black Trans Lives Matter, calling out the um, standard operating procedure misogyny that we get from the White House, and the effects of coronavirus on women as both essential workers and primary caregivers. And she's so freaking funny when she does it. So we girls need our role models. And for oh. my money, we don't have to look any further than super cool, super oh. smart, super funny Sam B. Thank you. That is, well... It's this what I said before. That was a great introduction. That was well, very thank you flattering, thank you. and I'm thank you very for being egotistical now. <laughs> good, oh good. You just went right 
do my head. I altered you right in that. <laughs> so let me let me just give you some context for season two. We decided mm-hmm. to focus in on John Lewis's troublemakers, the kind of okay. making good trouble, necessary trouble. And that's why we wanted you, because, you know, you are not just a late night host. You are very consciously creating trouble in all sorts of constructive ways. <laughs> Thank you for saying so. so I think so. I try. The first thing I want to do is just for one minute, talk about your bio. Sure. Just because one thing jumped out at me, Uh and that was that your mother was a Wiccan. Yes. And your father was an atheist, is an atheist. Mm -hmm. And you went to Catholic school. I did. That's a very, that's a deep, that's a bio deep cut. Yeah, well, it is. Like, my, I have two questions about that. One is, what? And the other one is, are you okay? Yeah. I, you know what? I have a, I'm a great blend of all of those <laughs> three things. Just the right amount of each. Yes. Good for life lessons. Good to create. <laughs> I don't know. And I've rejected all of it, basically. <laughs> My children are nothing. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, you know, I also want to know, why do you think Wiccans are so underrepresented on the Supreme Court? Oh, yeah. Let's get a Wiccan on there. That'll be easy. That'll be so much better. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, it probably gave you an interest in not taking things at face value, thinking for yourself, I'm guessing, here. I think thinking for myself, for sure, Mm because I definitely... Well, I was serious about my Catholicism when I was a kid because I kind of chose it. In, in a way, I didn't get baptized until I was mm. seven. Mm-hmm. I went, to, I attended Catholic school, but really only because my grandmother worked there. She was the secretary at a Catholic uh-huh. school. And, um, and, and so I was not baptized, but I was really super into Jesus <laughs> when I was a little kid. <laughs> well, who's not when you're a little kid? He's, all the pictures I had, he was so handsome and his heart is bleeding for you above your bed. It's, very. <laughs> and nobody had any nasty sex to make that happen. I mean, uh, I was so obsessed. Oh, Jesus didn't want to do that. Jesus wanted to hold your hand and give you a tight hug. Yes. <laughs> That's as far as it needed to go. <laughs> the Jesus on the crucifix in my church as a child was super hot. Well, he was very Jesus of Nazareth, like that actor from Jesus, you know, with the piercing yes. eyes. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I had the, kind of that going on, but also my mother questioning all of it, because she went to convent school yeah. growing up. Like, she had the full, like, a ruler on the uh, at your skirt and people getting the strap. And my dad just sort of grew up in a no man's land. Yeah. So I did yeah. question a lot of things. But only before, only after extremely enjoying Jesus, his <laughs> gorgeous. Blue I would eyes. say you, your spiritual formation is sound. Very <laughs> sound. It is sound. Yes. So we just saw the first presidential debate last night. We can't pretend we didn't just watch a train wreck. Well, we're all weary today. A little reflective, pretty angry, but yeah. just. So everybody's got a headache. The entire nation has a low-grade headache today. I mean, but what do you think it means? It doesn't mean anything good, does it? I don't know. I can't even say definitively. Like, I don't don't know if it – I don't think it moved – 
I don't think that debate moved the needle for anyone. I mean, unless I'm crazy, we're all in our camps. If you're an undecided, if if you're undecided in this climate, I mean, fuck off. Like, yeah. what is wrong with you? <laughs> so I like, I know. But I did think um, that Joe Biden handled himself in that kind of a context pretty well. Yeah, you could really feel him suffering out there. I felt, I felt com- very compassionate toward Joe Biden last night. I really did. I thought he did really handle himself well. There were times where I think there were missed opportunities yeah. for retorts, but who would have heard them anyway? Yeah. Like, I mean, really, who would have heard them? They yeah. just had so much trouble. Yeah. Handling that psychopath. So, yeah. I think that the next debate moderator should maybe be a kindergarten teacher. I think the next debate moderator should have the power to mute. Well, yes. That goes without saying for sure. And listen, I do this show, so I have to watch, but I don't want to. Yeah. Who wants to watch two more of these? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, Oh, God. Okay. Here's my brilliant segue. While we're on the subject of very expensive (laughs) shit shows, (laughs) let's talk about Ivanka. Oh, sure. When she calls herself a feminist, she called him a feminist at one point. I'm calling it Ivankosis. It's a form of psychosis that only Ivanka can bring to a genuine feminist. Nice. Um, How... I'm hoping you can help me articulate to people who might take her at her word that she's a feminist. Can we articulate why she is not a feminist and why she's dangerous to feminism? Well, I think, I mean, where do you even begin? Her, I mean, she will say that she's a feminist and certainly there are books in which she kind of touts that, but it feels like it honestly feels like a t-shirt branding opportunity for her more than a real fact of her existence. It's like a little bit like how I always really enjoy when she talks about being a self-made woman. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit like that. I think we define those things differently. Yeah. Like if you're a feminist, you're fighting for other women to have the same opportunities as men and not coasting on Daddy's. Other people's yeah. coattails and also furthering policies and arguing with your father who's mm-hmm. a sociopath about the yeah. road he's taking and you're fighting child separation and you are making access to reproductive care available. I argue with my dad all the time. And if my Mm -hmm. dad was the president, Uh (laughs) I would publicly air those grievances. Like I would take issue with the the way that he's conducting his administration and I would be very open about it. And I want to be clear, if my dad was the president, he would be a better president. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's be clear about that. If my dog were the president, he'd be a better oh, president. <laughs> if a paper plate that had a slice of pizza on it was president, <laughs> it would do a better. If it just, just just a paper plate that, that shut up and stood out of the way while experts spoke, it would be just refreshing. Here's what I think. I think the, the, the clear death of feminism was Ivanka. She is, is the avatar of dead feminism. Oh, 
These are powerful words. (laughs) I'm enjoying them. I'm letting them wash over. They're making me feel better. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. They're waking me up and making me feel better. So here is what I want to say to you, and this is the bottom line on Ivanka. Okay. I know that you got into trouble for saying a certain thing about her. Sure. Samantha B., you know who she is, right? Well, she's getting slammed for calling Ivanka Trump, quote unquote, a feckless C-word on her show. Samantha B and TBS apologizing after B verbally attacked Ivanka Trump, smearing her with the vulgar insult during a tirade about immigration. The comedian released a statement in which she directly addresses President Trump's daughter. She also apologized to her viewers. I will take the heat for it because she is a feckless cunt. Oh. And goddamn anyone I'm, who thinks we I'm, need to apologize for that. Well, you know, here's like it, it it certainly erupted in a way that it was unexpected. Yeah. For, it was unexpected for me. I don't I don't regret it. I only regret it insofar as I think I I think I there's it was a, a sizable contingent contingency within my audience who didn't like it, who were like, oh, that's a word I heard on the worst day of my life. Would you mind? And I do get that. I actually do get that. And it's weird to say this, but it truly was the first time that I took a step back from Mm -hmm. having done the show for a couple of years. And I went, oh, like people are listening. Like there are people (laughs) here. there's, There's people here other than me. Yeah, And there's people here other than the people I work with, because I do, as a performer and a producer of this show, keep it really small. Yeah. I, keep it, I keep the day-to-day task. It's kind of a Catholic way to do it. It's very like nose to the grindstone, eyes ahead, right. doing the work every day. So I don't like sit back and go, but what is my impact in the world? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. never, ever think about that right. until, or I never did until really that moment. Right. Right, and uh, so no regrets really, except for that one that one more of a thing. Yeah, I understand that, and for everybody, the operative word in that expression was the c word. But you know what? Mm -hmm. The really important word there was feckless. Right. Thank you. Yeah, I get asked about it a lot, and um, and that's totally fine because it was, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, this is the way the world works. Yeah. It did bring a lot of eyeballs to the show, which it ultimately yeah. was good for us. Um, but it was like walking across burning coals, yeah. for sure. It was, I ate a lot of Rolaids, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it, it's all fine because it all kind of makes you, these types of, incidents kind of make you the person you are. They kind of forge your yeah. spine yeah. in steel. Yeah. You very consciously seem to, you know, press on, and I hate saying the word diversity because it's just mm-hmm. exhausted, but nevertheless, you pressed on diversity as a priority. Mm-hmm. I don't think like, I don't think that we have in any way, shape or form cured the problem of diversity in television. Yeah. Like, but yeah. we definitely are super mindful about it and mm-hmm. are always thinking about ways to not only add diversity as you think of diversity, but also like social, like economic diversity. Mm-hmm. So many people in television. Yeah. Or when I was coming up in television and I had no right to be there based on <laughs> the way it normally worked. Like I didn't, 
have any very totally unconnected and would could never have done it yeah if i hadn't gotten the job of my life like i could never have joined that club no way that was it was a very got a really super lucky break um but then you look around once you get to that place and a lot of people who are there their parents were actually television producers. Uh-huh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a lot of, oh, all the entertainment lawyers, kids yes. yeah. have all the internships and the agencies. It's a very, it was, it's a very. Um, incestuous. Incestuous world. Yeah. And so even trying to break that apart a little bit. Yeah. Is it, it's actually, it's, it is actually challenging to do that on top of which the sons and daughters of the entertainment lawyers and the famous Mm -hmm. people really need to spend some time with some real people they have no idea how sheltered their lives have been they have no idea how much they do not know yes well my husband jason jones is uh he's a producer and he's a performer and a prolific writer and he and i Grew, both grew up in Canada, and we waited for so long. We waited for yeah. so long. <clears throat> and we just truly believe that every single human being should wait for at least a year. <laughs> like, no matter what your station in, in life is, because it is an experience that teaches you, it teaches you kind of everything yeah. you need to know about humanity. People are the worst. <laughs> It's so horrible to learn that lesson, but I mean, they're the worst, but there can be the best also. Like there's that. You tend to remember the ones who tried to get you fired because there was no more ice in the restaurant. Yeah, it's it's a very, very much just a math problem, really. Actually, if you see 100 people in a day and two of them suck, you go home with a bad day. But, you know, 98 people were awesome. 98 people were amazing. Probably four out of those 98 were incredible. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) it it is a question of keeping uh, your perspective. It's hard to do. It's very difficult to do. You have to actually be very disciplined about it. (laughs) So so on the show, to go back to the show, Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I see in, in late night, comedy shows, which have sort of morphed into news shows. They've certainly turned somewhere along the line into where I looked for news and Mm -hmm. the truth. How did that happen? Because what I now see there is some Mm -hmm. of the most articulate, progressive political analysis out there. And it's a coherent vision for a progressive future. First of all, why aren't conservatives funny? But second of all, how how did God, they um, cannot make a show? No, they cannot they make can't. a news based show, <laughs> and, and that is so, funny um, because they don't have truth and justice on their side. They literally exactly. can't. You, you, exactly. you they can't. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. No, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right about it. How did that happen? Well, you know what? Like, I'm actually, I'm going to give John Stewart a lot of credit. I mean, I have to give him a lot of credit for really changing the i mean obviously he changed the game well first of all his mind is like a like a, a, a steel trap. trap yeah it is a steel yeah. trap so he would remember sound bites that had happened 12 years prior and also the team that worked there or that is that continues to work there a lot of them are just very they would just sift through clips and sift through 
these old, old interviews and find the best clips and assemble them. And it was very revealing to just run these clip packages of politicians being hypocrites and making and, you know, and turning their back on a position they held previously and all of this. And really, at the time, really, the news didn't do that. Yeah. They actually didn't really do that. And I think that they learned. I think, unfortunately, a lot of news programs and a lot of news networks learned to start doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Based on what John was doing, because he did it with great success. Not that they couldn't have ever done that, not that they didn't ever do it, but it was just such a, it was just the routine on The Daily Show that you would always find the clip package of the person saying the opposite thing five years prior. And it's very possible to do, and it's very possible to fact check people in real time. It's all possible. You have all the resources in the world to find this stuff. Why did it fall to a comedy show? Well, partly it falls to comedy shows because comedy shows don't require access. It's not, we don't have access to people in power, generally speaking. Yeah. And so we can say whatever we want. And that benefits the story. So where does it, but where do you think it goes from here? Because I mean, sh- there will be a reckoning after this election of some kind. Will there? Yeah. I, Are you well, sure? Oh, God. Um, I'm not sure of that. Like, I yeah. watched, you know, a bunch of different news broadcasts last night. And then even like after the debate, even Dana Bash was like, that was a shit show. Like, yeah. hey, wait a minute. <laughs> That's my job. I'm like, great. She's totally right. And I do like her. But yeah. that's a turn. Yeah. It that's is a turn. turn. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. What is the reckoning? Nobody really learned their lessons from butter emails, particularly. Yeah, that's true. You know, there was some, there's some inner auditing that happens, but it's a little bit like the Republican Party auditing their approach to Latinx voters <laughs> after they lose yeah. Yeah. the House. You know what I mean? Nothing really happens. They just go, we got to do a better job. And everyone goes, we do. Yeah. Oh, who wants a turkey club? Who's getting, <laughs> who ordered the meatball sub? <laughs> So you did something so interesting in 2016, before the election, Mm -hmm. you went to Russia and you walked right in there and you found the trolls. Can you give me some examples of some websites where you like to comment? Site at the Wall Street Journal, the uh, New York Post, the Washington Post, it on Facebook, Twitter. How many accounts do you, would you say you have? Near a hundred Twitter, oh. twenty or fifteen in Facebook. Do you sometimes like to create misinformation? Sometimes it, it it's needed. It's nice to work from home. Of course. Subvert democracy in your Jimmy Jams. Yes. So chaos worldwide. In your trackies? Yes, yes, yes. How did you do that? Were they hard to find? Well, you would have to talk to uh, our amazing producer, Roseanne. And she was the one who, she just started literally talking to trolls online. Oh, wow. And built relationships with them. And this is like a side project for her. Wow. <laughs> She's like, wow. by the way, I'm having all these conversations with all these trolls. Do you want to go to Russia? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, What? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What? <laughs> they were going to 
talk to us? She was like, yeah, I convinced them to. And I was like, yeah, let's go to Russia. Was it, and we did. Was it an anxious place for you to go? I mean, I, I would have been a little anxious about it. Uh, no, I can't say that we were. Oh, we were. I think there was a little bit of anxiety about our phones and stuff. Like, I do remember some concerns about, you know, having our phones confiscated or sorted through. And I think we were maybe followed a little bit. We just kept seeing these same men. (laughs) Yeah. But nothing major. You always include links to places that you can donate and volunteer. Sure. I don't see that much on other websites. And I guess I'm curious why you do that. Did you feel hesitant because others didn't? No, not at all. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't feel hesitant. I don't really. Here's the the real skinny. I don't really give a shit what anybody else is doing. I don't really care. I don't really. I don't watch other shows. I just do my thing no matter what. Yeah. And I thought what it didn't. Well, listen, it's not like it It was not laborious. I definitely think if you have a big platform, you should use it. You should use it. Use yeah. it as much as you can while yeah. you have it because you're not yeah. going to have it forever. Yeah, You don't get into TV and go, here's my job for 30 years. I mean, some people do, but I don't plan to. I don't, wouldn't even want to. So while I'm here in this place and while at least a few hundred thousand people are watching, like I should always be thinking about how to help or how to be helpful or amplify something great. Yeah. Otherwise it's a waste. Well, that's why you're here on this show. I got to say, because you're, you're a troublemaker. I love that. Yeah. It's a, what a waste of, what a waste of a platform to just be like, look at me. Okay. Good night, everyone. Yeah. I mean, I'm completely, and I, you know, year and something ago said something on TV that went viral about Mm -hmm. Bob Iger. And Mm -hmm. I kind of came up for air after every news entity in the country reached out for me to asking me to say something yet more controversial. But, uh, but uh, I, I thought to myself, people don't hand you moments like this every freaking day, like lean into it with everything you have. Well, exactly. Like if, what if 10 people change their minds about something or, you know, things happen in these little increments. And so like, what if literally 10 people just looked at what you did and went, I'm going to learn about this. I'm going to learn more about this. I didn't know about this. Oh, this is okay. Oh, great. I just like put, I'm so into like one step in front of the other. Just keep going like a tractor. Like the smallest thing can be so freeing for someone. Like Mm -hmm. if you make the smallest gesture can ripple, like it can really make a difference if someone's, I don't know, I'm going to use a big example. Like if someone gets their teeth fixed, it can make such a huge difference in their life. It's not just about the teeth. It's about how they smile. Their smile is how they present themselves in the world. They then have greater confidence and they're more appealing and someone Mm -hmm. hires them and then they get a job and then they Mm -hmm. pay it forward. Like it's like paying it forward (laughs) in the smallest ways can make a huge difference. Like paying, okay, like paying um, for all of those disenfranchised voters in Florida, you know? Yes. 
are called returning citizens now, but I guess ex-felons, people who have been in prison, um, the right for them to vote was restored by wide margins by the Florida electorate. But then very recently, the Florida Supreme Court ruled that in order to be eligible to vote, they have to pay their fines and fees from Mm. all of their court cases, which really amounts to a poll tax. Yeah. And the and it's very obscure and nobody really knows how much they owe or some people do, but it's often these really small amounts and these people want to vote. Like there's a large group of people within this body of people who really, really want to vote and have the right to vote and have fought really hard for it. Or look, it's just their fucking right. It's their right. And the amount of money that a lot of those people have to pay is very minimal mm-hmm. by most people's standards. Sometimes it's $50, okay? Yeah. Which is not a burden for lots and lots of people. But for some people, it's an immense burden. I don't think you should have to choose between eating or paying your electrical bill and voting. I don't think you should have to choose at all. So putting some attention on that issue, because there's a movement to pay those fines and fees. And um, yeah. And so we talked about it on the show, but like it's, it's vital, it's vital. If you're a citizen, you get to vote. That's the way it works. I keep wondering if John Roberts ever wonders about that decision on Shelby v. Holder, because his majority opinion read, "You not literally, but like, we're done. It's okay. Everything is fine. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And it hasn't even been that long. It's been, yeah. you know, like six years maybe since that decision. And mm-hmm. it has been disastrous. For people of color and poor people. It has been disastrous. One more thing. Sure. How are you planning to take care of yourself? I imagine it will stay shitty for a long time after November 3rd. How am I planning to take care of myself? That's I'm not really. Mm. I can't say that I'm like, oh, let me think about my... I'm not sacrificing myself to this. You you know what I mean? I I think I just... There are things that... I do that relax me. Everyone's yeah. super tense and yeah. I'm no exception to that. There are things that I do that I enjoy doing that make me feel great. I try to stretch. Yeah. Does that help? I yeah. try to bake. I like to oh, cook. Yeah. Yeah. So just sort of taking care of my family, taking care of my kids is a really great distraction from not only do I love doing it, but it also I com- have a complete separation between my family life and my work life. And I, I adhere to it yeah. strongly. Yeah. And and what are you going to do on election night? Are you going to watch? On election night? Not watch? What am I going to do on election night? I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch all the returns. We have a show the next day. So Ooh. we're going to be working on the show that we're going to be filming the next day. So I'll be wow. working and watching the returns and feeling tremendous anxiety. And yeah. I'm going to early vote so that I can work that full day and not um, yeah, and not be standing. Because I'm sure the lines will be long and I Will your need kids to work. be watching with you? I think that they will watch with me, but they don't, you know, they're younger. They think they'll be bored by it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I won't yeah. make them watch, yeah. but I but doubt young. that we will know until either late or within two months later. So yeah. I'm not sure that we're going to have this big moment where we go, we did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that would be great. And I hope for it. 
That's all from, as my mom used to say, from your lips to God's ears. Yeah, boy. Sam, you grew up in Canada. Mm -hmm. Last night after the debate, there Mm -hmm. was a massive surge in Googling moving to Canada. Okay. Um, Do you think that's a viable option? Do you ever think about going back? Uh, I don't. I don't think about going back. I'm a dual citizen of both countries. I like, I hate to break it to you, but it's not easy to go to Canada. Like mm. Canada doesn't want you. <laughs> People who are Googling it. Canada's border is closed right now. I haven't yeah. seen my family since March, February. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like no one's, the border is not porous in either direction. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole thing. So yeah. good luck, everyone. <laughs> Well, thank you, thank you, Sam B. Thank you so much for being my first first guest. Oh my on god, it's my pleasure. Season, and I, I hope we can meet again in person someday when that becomes in person would be great possible. I would love it. And if you want to hear more from Sam, tune into Full Frontal with Sam B. Wednesday nights at 10.30 on TBS. (laughs) And she also has a podcast, full release, available on all your favorite podcast platforms. I do. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Sam. This was great fun. All Ears is a production of Fork Films. The show was produced by Alexis Pencrazi and Christine Schomer. Lauren Wimbush is our associate producer. Sabrina Yates is our production coordinator. Our engineer is Veronica Rodriguez. Bob Golden composed our theme music. The podcast team also includes VP of production, Aideen Kane. Our executive producer is Kathleen Hughes. Learn more about the podcast on our website, forkfilms.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review All Ears wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.